Welcome to the October 20th edition of The Relevant Podcast, the audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com, where apparently people get stapled <laughs> while we're recording. Wow. Are you okay? Yes, I think so. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me is The Relevant Magazine editorial crew. We have editorial director Kara Davis. Hello. Managing editor Adam Smith. Hi, everybody. And web content producer Jesse Carey. Good morning, or good afternoon, whenever you're listening, <laughs> or good evening. It's beauty of the podcast. You can listen whenever. This, this one's geared especially towards anytime, you. anywhere. It's individualized. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I tried to start with a new intro today. Uh, kind of chickened out. I didn't say hello, everyone. Wow. I just jumped. I, I skipped it. I'm, I'm going to morph into a new introduction. It's been a year. I think I think I can mix mm. it up. It's a new mm. chapter. Um, I don't say hello, everyone anymore. Until later. I'll say Cam- it at the end. Cameron somehow seems more distant now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, a more standoff. No friendly <laughs> greeting. This edition of the podcast, we have a special treat for you. Um, artist Phil Wickham is in the studio, and he will perform a few songs for us from his new album. So definitely stay tuned for that. It's, it's, it's uh, kind of a storytellers with Phil Wickham. It is. That's what it is. It's storytellers with Phil Wickham. I wish people could have seen it. It was candle lit in here. Um, we had oriental rugs on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> all over the place, like fifty. He was on a bar stool. Love yeah. was in the air. You know, it was. did you guys ever see the the storytellers with Neil Diamond? Yes. <laughs> or am I just thinking of Will Ferrell? Will doing Ferrell. Yeah. That's, the yeah, that's the one I remember. Okay, because yeah. I thought that's what you were. It was all to. the crazy stories, like you know, I knifed some homeless guy, and then I wrote "Sweet Caroline." <laughs> yeah. All right, and that will be the last reference to Neil Diamond. <laughs> In, in a very long time. Yes. We got to keep it young. We'll we got to keep it hip. <laughs> oh, are, we're supposed to do jock jams this week. Yeah, that's not happening. I'm just going to play the real TV stuff. Okay. Got to get back on track, you know? That's true. Don't want to. I agree. <laughs> we don't want to scare the kids off. Well, I've last agreed last all week, along. we were back on track, except for the fact that behind entertainment releases, I played some sappy music. So this week, I'm going to not play sappy music, but I am going to play music. That's hot. Right. That's hot. All right. We're going to play a little Danger Doom featuring CeeLo, actually. CeeLo from Gnarls Barkley. Yeah. Wow. So you got Gnarls Barkley together pre-Gnarls Barkley. It's true. Look at that. Yep. The mouse and the mask. Anyway, with that coming out in theaters tonight, we've got Flags of Our Fathers, directed by Clint Eastwood. That's the one about the uh, Battle of Iwo Jima. Just take your grandfather to see it. He'd appreciate it. He'd appreciate just getting out of the house. <laughs> uh, Running with Scissors is coming out in limited release. Um, that kind of looks like the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it looks. I have a news item about that. Oh, interesting. About kids running with scissors. So the author Austin Burroughs, you know, he. You're lived- just going to jump right into it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. She does what she likes and she likes what she does, okay? <laughs> Members of the family that he lived with as a child, they they have sued 
Sony for the way that they have been portrayed. Um, and they have settled um, out of court about that. It says that the um, the suit has stayed until after the film comes out. And the family attorney says that after the movie opens, there will be an opportunity to assess how profound the damage to the family will be. All right. Also coming out, we have The Prestige, uh, which I'm greatly looking forward to. And I don't have a news item More about. magicians. Uh, <laughs> oddly, yeah. It's about magicians. And oddly, the family of one of the magicians is suing the theater. <laughs> <laughs> they're not suing the studio. They're actually suing every individual theater that the museum plays in. If wow. they're crazy. If, if there's one thing we need more at the box office, it's magic. And we got in turn of That's the right. century magic at that. Well, we predicted it. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> Tell me what. In the new issue of uh, Relevant, which is shipping this week, there's a year in review. Top 10 items, year in review. Spoiler alert, by and, the way. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. Well, we'll just say this. Uh, you know, the issue had to be done in October or September. And, you know, there's a couple months left in the year. And so inevitably, by the end of the year, there would have been, you know, one more trend that will have emerged mm-hmm. that we couldn't, you know, hadn't happened yet. So what we did is we did nine actual items and then we predicted one. We did this last time we did a year yeah. review two mm-hmm. years ago. If you remember, that one was correct. We yeah. predicted mustaches. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were just to say, years early. let's just say. <laughs> We once again lightning is struck twice. Yeah, we were correct. If I if I remember correctly, I think a show called My Name Is Earl became a hit, <laughs> and not on its comic merit. Clearly, because of the lead character's mustache, the merit right. of the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> so you know we won't give away anything with the new issue, but let's just say it's magic. once again. Let's we're, just say we're on the money. The fact that the prestige is coming out when it is, yeah, just <laughs> solidifies, it's, yeah, our correctness. Um, also coming out, Marie Antoinette, the Sofia mm. Coppola. Looks good. With Kirsten Dunst and Jason Schwartzman. I just can't wait to see him in Knickers. <laughs> um, and also Flicka. Yep. Which is about a horse. About horses. Yeah. I just like this called Flicka. Tim McGraw's in that. Oh, well, then I'll rush right out. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, well, you know, we, we can poke fun at it or whatever, but these family movies make a lot of money. Like they, you know, especially around the holidays, family films make a lot. So that's, that's what's wrong with us. We're not safe for the whole family. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's all Kara's cousin. <laughs> Thanks, Kara. My cousin. Leave my cousin out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out in stores on Tuesday, October twenty fourth. We've got a few items of note. Sparta with threes. It's coming out. Mm-hmm. The Walkman with Pussycats. We should play some Tom Jones. <laughs> and MXPX with Let's Rock. Wow. Is that a um, new album or is it a best of? Uh, I think it's a new album. Well, they are touring right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they put it, they've put out new albums consistently since. It's just that it's nobody started. listens to them. Yeah. Oh, so. I like MXPX. And uh, Sandy Patty is coming out with The Voice of Christmas. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Finally. I need to get some Christmas music. I've been waiting for for so long. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for entertainment releases. Up next, Slices.
You're listening to Beck. The song is Soldier Jane. At the beginning of the podcast, you were listening to Imogen Heap, the song being Headlock. It's uh, right now the featured video over at Relevant TV, and Beck's also playing this week at Relevant TV. Go over there and check it out, relevant.tv. And now with Slices, here's Kara Davis. Barack Obama has launched his public book tour publicizing his new book The Audacity of Hope and uh, because of this tour a lot of people are speculating that you know the book is setting him up to run for president Obama has said that he will revisit the question in November Um, he told uh, Time Magazine that when the election is over and my book tour is done I will think about how I can be most useful to the country and how I can reconcile that with being a good dad and a good husband I haven't completely decided or unraveled that puzzle yet Mm. Yeah. Stay tuned. Isn't it the, isn't he the time he's on the cover of time right now, right? And that, I believe it says on the magazine cover it says the next president. Mm. If I have a kid I'm going to name him Barack Obama. <laughs> Barack Obama Strang. Yes. <laughs> Except that'll just be his first name. Barack, Barack Obama. Obama. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I knew a guy call it. Oh. I had a bird named Larry Bird. <laughs> first name? And that was her name, her first name. I knew a guy in college first name was Joachim. He's French. Joaquin Joaquin is how it's pronounced. No, he no he He went by Joaquin. Joaquin. Well, Joaquin Noah, the center for the Florida Gators national Mm -hmm. championship basketball team, is Joaquin Noah spelled Mm -hmm. that way. But there's no Q. There's no Q in his name either. Oh, really? Joaquin. It's J O A K I M. Because that's an awesome name. I can't remember how it was spelled, but he went by Joaquin. I had a cat named Little Jerry Seinfeld. That was his (laughs) first name. Little Jerry Seinfeld string. I saw a real dog in real life that looked like Santa's little helper the other day. Just a different shade. Was it Greyhound? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Greyhounds do tend to look like that. <laughs> but smaller. Uh-huh. Less majestic. Our next dog I want to name Charles Barkley. I just think that's a good dog's name. Yeah. That's a good dog name. Is he going to be like a bulldog or something? Yeah. Have I told you this? I'm no. getting a bulldog. That's. I want to oh, get a, awesome. one of the brown... Just English bulldogs. I, I don't like awesome. the ones, the white ones with the gnarly faces. Oh, I want a man, good brown one. Well, and uh, name Charles Barkley. Well, you really can't name you can't name any dog Charles Barkley unless it's like a bulldog. I know, right? Yeah, because yeah, it kind of mm. looks like Chuck. Yeah, I named Chuck for short. Call him Chuck. Yeah, we had a dog named the Cheat, and if people called him Cheat, we would uh, we'd correct them. We'd be like, "That's not his name. It's the Cheat." When I, when I would take little Jerry Seinfeld to the vet, they'd call him Jerry. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, his name is Little Jerry or Little Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and they would, they would write that on his tab, Aww. Little Jerry Seinfeld yeah. string. What, whatever happened to him? I gave him to a friend um, when we moved. To, to, on a farm? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, one of my friends. That's place. how all those stories end. <laughs> has little, Where no, he could run and play. One of my friends has Little Jerry Seinfeld. Our, we got a dog and the dog was beaten up on him. It was sad. So, so, so he went to go live out on a nice farm with a, with a kind with family. With a family that would let him run and play. Yeah, I've heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's code word for shotgun. Oh. <laughs> I just taser them. At least that's what it meant when I was growing I just up. make them enter long comas and uh, <laughs> set them on the side of the road. I just free them. Give them a fighting chance. <laughs> free them. Yes, that's, the humane society that's very responsible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're free to go now. I'm a humanitarian. I release them into, like Free Willy, release them back in the wild. <laughs> Dogs don't live in the ocean. You have them <laughs> doing that. You? Just take them out to the middle of the ocean. You're free. Join your family. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's keep going. Okay. Uh, well, Rick Warren is uh, 
is in the news these days, and he's he's he was recently on the cover of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Um, but he's actually getting a little criticism. Um, some people aren't a fan of this new tax break that he pushed through Congress. Mm-hmm. And the tax break is specifically for people in the ministry. And some people feel that it's not fair because it isn't an umbrella over all nonprofits. It's particularly for clergy. And also, um, he's the his ministry is selling a church... Um, a milkshake? A, yeah, a, a power-lifting <laughs> leg press kit that is uh, really <laughs> impressive. No, uh, his church... He, uh, his ministry is selling a a kit that in a strategy to help churches grow and a lot of pastors are angry because they don't think it it works like they thought it would so he's facing (laughs) he's facing some criticism there's a new book coming out that doesn't uh name him specifically but it kind of dances around and talk to people who aren't fans of the purpose-driven movement um but rick warren um he just kind of he took it they said he kind of took it with a grin just i mean it's one of those things where you know what are you gonna do yeah and and like i i, I don't think the problem here is with rick warren i think it's with you know people, the people c- who bought the thomas kincaid franchises yeah you know <laughs> well i i think you know everybody kind of goes through the thing of like putting a person on a pedestal over you know no one's perfect and i'm not saying uh rick warren's right or wrong in any of these things but you know no one's perfect and it's easy for us to put whoever is kind of the the big christian in the spotlight at the moment into onto an unfair pedestal and then look at everything he does under a microscope you know well it's kind of you know it's in vogue to tear people down who are doing something important or who are successful at what they're doing you know i mean you look at bono and there's so many detractors it's like you know the guy's trying to raise money for africa like he has a quote here that said it, he, he kind of said it they said he kind of laughed and he said it's about time someone started being negative the media love to build people up and they immediately tear them down um and then he he kind of pointed to new activities that he's doing you know he's he's obviously very involved in social justice around the world um and so uh, he quoted scripture and he says, if I do not do the works of my father, believe me not. Uh, obviously, he's become sort of the face of big Christian church and, and that whole, the mega church movement in a way. Um, he's automatically has association with that. But I, I don't really know exactly what his role in pushing that bill through Congress was. But I know that he, you know, he, he was definitely for it. And so I think just by the association of mm-hmm. he's such a powerful, recognized figure that he automatically has association yeah. with the positive as well as the negative uh, well, for anything that he attaches himself to. Honestly, I have a I have a little bit of a hard time questioning his motives on this because, I mean, the guy, he gives away like 90% of his income. So mm-hmm. I, I don't... I, he just hasn't really set a pattern of being someone who's overly concerned about, you know, finding different ways to further his financial status. So, uh, you know, I would... I would think that his motive in this is really more for other pastors than it is for himself. Right. And nobody said that what he did was a bad thing. They were just mad that he didn't include all nonprofits. Is that what the deal is? Yeah, basically, it's. Um, I, I posted the story in Slices this past week about the actual New York Times cover story that talks about the bill. Um, and basically, it's something along the lines of it, it gives a tax relief break to housing for people who are right. in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Because that's a big part of of their 
how they make their living is like a church will provide a house or something, but it doesn't extend that privilege to non-religious nonprofit organizations. Mm. So a lot of people said that that wasn't fair, and the story went on to talk about uh, the breakdown. It, it, I think the, one of the quotes from the story was something along the lines of, there's no longer a wall between, and this is the New York Times editorializing it, but they said something along the lines of, this is no, there's no longer a line between church and state, the church is on a pedestal over the state, in that they are getting privileges that other organizations aren't. Hmm. Indeed. So, um, if you've been sitting around waiting for some some piece of mail to come that hasn't arrived at your doorstep yet, in, there may in be your tax free house. Yeah, in your tax free house. If you've been waiting for those, Not if you work for the Red those Cross. tax forms to <laughs> fill out, um, then there may be good reason for that. Uh, Alan Gagne, a twenty year <laughs> veteran. That's a good segue. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. A 20-year veteran of the United States Postal Service in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, he passed away at his house. He was known for being a very diligent guy, very by the book, and just really taking his job seriously. However, there may have been another side to him because when his supervisor went to his apartment um, and actually found Gagne there, uh, having passed away, he also found stacks and stacks of undelivered mail stuffed in closets, cabinets, just all over the place. Uh, so far, the earliest article, they haven't even been able to go through all of it yet, but the oldest is dated in the 90s. Um, and they said it, it amounts to about four or five truckloads of undelivered mail. So, I, you know, when I was a kid, I sent my proofs of purchase away to some cereal <laughs> for my refrigerator Perry G.I. Joe. And I, question, did you, I never received it. Did you, did you live in Brookline, Massachusetts? No, but I mean, what if it went through there? You know, for all we know, that was some kind of routing He was a station. deliverer, not a router. It's not <laughs> he was I just stuff. want to believe that the cereal company didn't cheat me out of my refrigerator, Perry. I've needed someone to blame for the past 20 years, and I'm picking this guy. No, he's dead. I met him. Refrigerator Perry or Alan Gagne? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're both dead. <laughs> the fridge isn't dead. He's still yeah, he is. What? Yeah. yeah. I just saw him box Minute Bowl three years ago. <laughs> What's up with Mike Tyson wanting to fight women? He is insane. He's crazy. And he's doing it for charity, he says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Women's domestic violence abuse but, shelter. You know, okay, at this point... Could he really do anything that would make us respect him less? <laughs> you know, it's like Mike Tyson could say or do anything and mm-hmm. it wouldn't change my perception of him. This is true. However, I will say any woman out there, if you're going to fight Mike Tyson, this is what I found after playing punch out for years and years. You wait until he stops and his eyes go kind of all crazy. And then if you punch him, you'll knock him down every time. It always works. So yeah, Mike Tyson. Wait for the crazy eyes. Mike Tyson. Back back to the the male guy. Hey, remember that episode of Seinfeld where Jerry takes over Newman's shift? Yeah. And they're like, "Well, thanks a lot, Jerry. They knew it wasn't me." He's like, "How?" He's like, "Cause you broke the fifty percent accuracy threshold. No one's ever done that before in the postal service." Oh, that's funny. Well, I will say in this guy's defense, they're saying a lot of this stuff. Um, that wasn't delivered it was actually circulars and advertising and a lot of the residents he was very well loved on his mail route uh, the people they delivered mail to just really really liked him and felt very close to him and a lot of them are saying you know maybe it's just looking out for us keeping yeah. junk mail away from us he's a you know? real life spam filter yeah maybe that's what it was 
Can, but that can doesn't I, get me any closer to getting my refrigerator Perry G.I. Joe. Can I correct myself? Refrigerator Perry is not dead. No. <laughs> I just want to apologize to the family of William Perry. We want to just say we're sorry. He's uh, apparently living in South Carolina, and he owns his own construction company. So good for you. He's alive and well. And he <laughs> boxed dead. Minute Bowl like three years ago. Well, I also lost. met Reggie White, and he is dead. So maybe I'm confusing the two. Reggie White has passed away. Yeah. But I, I do feel like I've met both of them. <laughs> I'll ask my mom. Uh, William Perry, most recently, apparently he participated in a World Wrestling Federation battle royale oh. at WrestleMania <laughs> awesome. 2 in Rosemont, Illinois. Okay, WrestleMania 2? Two. 2. And then in 2006, this year, he returned to the Chicago area to be inducted into the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame by WWE champion John Cena. Uh, did oh, they start the WrestleManias over? Like, are you talking he did WrestleMania 2 way back when? Yeah, and this year okay. he was inducted into the celebrity. Okay, movie. I understand. Yeah. Sorry if I confused that and implied that he was dead. What did he... <laughs> was he part of the song back in the 80s? Yeah, of the, course. Yeah. The, the We Are the Bears thing? Yeah. It's called the Super Bowl Shuffle. Super Bowl yeah, Shuffle. Super Bowl Shuffle. Yeah. Actually, during his popular tenure with the Bears, he participated in the recording of two rap records, both in 1985, in addition to the team's very popular Super Bowl shuffle. Just I Wikipedia. Love, see, that's that swagger that we were talking about last week. They recorded that song way before they went to the Super Bowl with the intention, mm-hmm. we're going to the Super Bowl I think, I think And they the, went and they won. I think the current Bears should record a Super Bowl shuffle because they're awesome. Well, Monday night they weren't awesome. Well, they came back and won. <laughs> scoring no offensive w's touchdowns. W's. I know yeah. I'm a Bears fan, but I can't believe they won scoring no offensive touchdowns. That just goes to show you, if they can win that way, they can win anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's the true. Bears find a way to win. Mm-hmm. true. All right, well, on that note, that'll do it for Slices. Up next, Phil Wickham. listening to P.O.D. The song is Lights Out. We finally got around to playing it. Now that they're no longer on Atlantic mm. Records, <laughs> they got booted. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're no longer on a label. They're homeless. Hmm. Anyway, a few weeks ago, artist Phil Wickham was in the studio, and he uh, performed a few songs for us. He has a new album out now. It's self-titled. It's on INO Records, and you can check him out at philwickham.com. So without further ado... Here is Phil Wickham. The sky is gray and the light is far The sea is a rage within my heart I turn my side to the crashing waves I cry in the night just to be saved Cause I need eyes to be my guide I need a voice That's louder than mine 
This next song I'm going to play for you guys is called Divine Romance, and uh, it's probably my favorite song on the CD. Um, it's actually written during a sound check at a church, and uh, some songs I write, I feel um, like God has given me some some sort of ability to put words together and um, melodies and be able to sing them back to Him, 
and so I feel like some like he's giving me the gift, and I'll, I'll write the songs, and and I'll, I'll give my songs back to him. But some songs I feel like are actually just almost given from him to me, the words and the lyrics, and um, just almost to bless my heart and to sh- so he can share his heart with me. And that's what I feel this song was. I wrote it during a sound check at a church, and uh, I started playing these notes and singing this melody, and then the words just started coming out in about uh, six or seven minutes. I sang through this whole song, and so I told the the sound man to to burn a disc and let me record it so I could remember it. And so I did, and I threw it in my car, and, and I found it a couple weeks later, like underneath like my back seat and and I saw it said like divine romance on it so I was like oh I think I remember something about this I put it in and I remember being so like um blessed by it and that might sound weird being blessed by something you wrote it, w- it was kind of weird to me I was trying to figure out like why it, it was impacting me so much and and I just felt like the Lord was really um reminding me of how it, not only does does Jesus refer to us as his body and as his church and as his saints and as his people and as his children but he also refers to us as his bride and that's kind of a an interesting thing for me to always think of as as not just the girls but the guys and all of us together make up the bride of Christ and um, and uh, when I was sharing this I was I was reminded by a pastor friend of mine how uh, how in like ancient or long ago times they might even still do it they probably do actually but the family like Jewish families would. Um, like a guy and a girl, two families would come together, and they would be a guy and a girl would kind of be betrothed to each other, meant for each other, and then, um, and, and so when that happens, and when the guy's old enough, he'd go away and start building a house for the woman, and uh, and he would get you know all the sheep wool or whatever they put out down on the on the carpets or on the you know get the manure and all that, and put it in the house and make it like a good Jewish house uh, for for their family, and then when it was ready, he would and it could have been any time the the woman had to always be ready. He would come down in this procession, and then the wedding celebration would start, and he would take the woman back to the house, and they would start the family together. And how that's um, such an awesome picture about what Jesus is doing now. How he says, you know, he's come for us already as the Messiah to save our souls and to to almost betroth us to him in a way by his blood. He's forgiven us and made us free, and and now um, and now he's, he's saying, you know, I go to my father's house, and we're going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back one day, so be ready. And and uh, just how there's no there's no more intimate and close relationship we could have here on this earth than like the husband and the wife, you know, and and how how Jesus would think of us like that, you know, how he would um, how he would long for us like a couple of my friends have actually just gotten married, and I was in the weddings, and it's just so fun to see the the groom's face when the bride walks down the aisle, like the like the tears and like the smile and like so much excitement and um, so much love and uh, just to think that Jesus would be that excited to have that wedding feast with us and to share eternity with us and uh, it just it blows my mind I think that more than the song itself but just the fact that Jesus loves me that much um, hit me and so I think that's probably why this is my favorite song it's just called Divine Romance of your grace is here with me the richness of your beauty is all I see the brightness of your glory has a in your 
presence, God. I'm completely satisfied for you. I sing, I dance, I rejoice in this divine romance. Lift my heart and my hands to show my love to show my love a deep deep flood an ocean flows from Deep love Yeah, it's filling up the room You're innocent blood Has washed my guilty life In your presence, God I'm completely sad listening to DJ Shadow. The song is Enough, featuring Q-Tip and Latif, playing right now over at Relevant. 
TV. Last week, our editorial question of the week was, what, what five issues um, do you feel are most important ones for our generation to get involved with or take a stand on? And, um, and now we will read you some of that feedback. Uh, Clayton Bell, who, strangely enough, through a bizarre coincidence, I know, uh, he said, balancing social justice and the transforming nature of the gospel. Basically, the fact that the gospel has to be three-dimensional, me, God, and other people, not just me and God, but also see the outworking to a transformed life, not just a series of behavioral modifications. Secondly, a functional definition of unity, basically unity without being homogenized as a body of Christ, Um, being a politically independent entity that we need to uh, steer candidates towards what we believe, but not compromise because of mindless party affiliations, understanding spheres of authority between government, churches, families, and the individual, um, along with not being tied to one particular party, we shouldn't be tied to one particular solution for the ills of the world, namely through civic government. And finally, respect between the young and the old. He said, I don't know if this is an issue that the Christian coalition should address, but with the young, uh, allegedly hip emerging churches trying new and creative ways to bring the gospel to the culture, that we can't assume a place of arrogant superiority for being cutting edge, and nor can the traditional and contemporary churches point fingers and accuse them of being heretical or syncretistic with culture. So, very well thought out responses. Ben Swain said the, the five issues that, um, top five issues for him were, well, the first was resolving the situation in Iraq. He says that our presence needs to come to an end there, but we also shouldn't leave until Iraq's government has gotten off to a good to a good start. He also said that the crisis in Africa, particularly the genocide in the Sudan, needs to be addressed. His third was the budget. Um, he said that he believes that we need a balanced budget to ad- and to address the national debt. Another issue for him was the environment and the destruction of natural resources. And finally, education, when he went on to say, especially among the poor, um, good education needs to be provided for people. Dwayne Courier says, the five most important issues, I only want to give you one, ending abortion. Uh, Eric Nelson, he he wrote in and said that... um, that he actually broke down lots of different uh, issues that he feels passionate about. One were culture of life issues, such as abortion, embryonic research, cloning, euthanasia, and the death penalty. Also business issues, like working conditions, safe wages, and uh, international uh, business. Also stewardship issues that include the environment, uh, consumer debt, and addiction that need to be addressed, as well as tolerance issues, international relations, domestic violence, and, and the war. Todd Hilson said that uh, his top five, not necessarily ranked in any order, are uh, extreme poverty, environmentalism, vegetarianism, interestingly enough, uh, speaking out against corporate greed, and inclusiveness of all races and religions, regardless of sexual preference or political leaning. Leslie Bowden says, number one, dignity of life, including abortion, embryonic stem cell research, and state-sanctioned executions. Number two, care for the poor, including education reform, tax issues, and international issues. Number three, the global slave trade, with special attention to the trafficking of children to brothels around the world. Number four, uh, racial reconciliation. Number five, right to free speech. Liz Stadelak wrote in, and her five are pure sexuality, strengthening the family, self-discipline, helping those in need, 
and being a good steward, not only with finances, but also taking care of our bodies and eating healthy foods because God has given us the earth, but he's also given each of us a body. So be healthy and exercise. I have one from John Book that says his are... Uh, no more John Book. John Book. John <laughs> Book. Denied. He fights crime. Uh, that sounds like a librarian cop. <laughs> <laughs> book him. La- like still on that, in the book. That early Seinfeld, it's like um, like Robert Bookman was was the library detective. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> really? Jerry yeah. had, uh, was it, some book out since 1973 yeah. or something. This is, he does sound like a crime fighting librarian. Like Kramer falls Justice in love with the librarian overdue. or something. John Book. <laughs> He'd be a character in a novel series. Actually, well, John Book was Harrison Ford's name in Witness. Really? It was indeed. Mm. Okay, so maybe this guy's faking. Maybe it's actually Harrison Ford. I like Probably. to think that that's yes. who it is. Most likely, Harrison Ford is listening. Yes. When's the next Indiana Jones coming out? Tell us. It's coming out. We did get an email when? about Woosley. What about him? Oh, he's a Christian. Yeah. 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 He's so a he's not a Christian. The person who wrote in <laughs> said that he was a BA Christian in the subject line, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in my urban, Bachelor yeah. of Arts Christian? <laughs> yeah. No, they mean born again thought. Christian. Oh, oh yeah. I, see, that my, that I have a BA. That's my degree. I'm born yeah. again. I think he would be a BA Christian. Yeah, you know I, I think mean, he would be pretty I mean, he runs a CIA. CIA. Dude's got to be pretty BA. Yeah. Wow. Pretty born again. <laughs> That's right. That's what we're saying, people. Get your minds out of the gutter. I want to... I want to change pat- gears here. Yeah. It's <laughs> like the piano music starts out. The altar calls. We just want to take, take a it down a notch here. <laughs> I just want to take a minute here to... I can't think of the word. Brag. Brag on our listeners for all the feedback we got to the editorial question of the week. It was a serious question, and we got thoughtful, serious answers. Yeah. True. Good for you guys. <laughs> Okay, and, you and can it, bring it back up now. It, it was a, it was definitely a variety of, um, of responses to lots of different issues. That well, you know, I was kind of confused on um, did people were they saying that these are the issues that the gov- that the that Christians need to work with the government to enact, or were they saying these were personal it, life issues that they want their lives to be focused on? I, I think it turned out a little. A little bit both, but it's a mixed you know, they're bag. all. Yeah, well, that's the thing is because like, it's all interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you hear like extreme poverty, is the guy saying he personally wants to do things to help fight extreme poverty? Maybe he does in his own life, or is he saying the government needs to be doing stuff like that? Because that's even a debatable point among some people. So well, maybe that's the question this week. Well, I, well, I think a lot of it had to do with our conversation. We're talking about the issues that the Christian Coalition is getting involved in, and if if Christians as a political entity. I think, you know, what issues... In- entity? You left out one of the T's. Entity. Well, what issues they should address, and if extreme poverty is one that can be, that we should address politically. But see, then the question is, the person who said vegetarianism, is that, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It was a mixed bag. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I'm okay with that. I think it's interesting to hear a little bit of both. But but so. the, to to distinguish between the two, I think is actually pretty important. What is personal responsibility? Right. And what is governmental responsibility? Because I mean, if you look at history, there are those involved in politics who feel that we should have a smaller government, that the people would have more power, lower taxes, smaller government, less governmental involvement. On the other side, you have people who say we need a stronger government with more social action, more you know fiscal uh, initiatives to help you know stem the tide of poverty and different things or helping people in more social ways 
So the question is, is actually a party question now, you know, should the government be the one doing all this stuff or should the government not be doing this stuff and the Christians should be doing this stuff? That's oh, a big question. That is the letter question. I read earlier from Leslie Bowden, she she started it by saying, I'm a bit torn on the question because most issues that, that I am about to list should be addressed by the church, not primarily by the government. Right. And the question is, is the Christian coalition or these other Christians involved in government, what should they be focusing on as the most important issues from a Christian perspective, biblical perspective, that the government should be in motion on, you know? Yeah. And and the, the question remains, what is the government's responsibility versus the church's responsibility? Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, I think, is going to be a debate for the ages. When we talked with Derek Webb earlier this year, he was saying, you know, a lot of the issues he's personally passionate about, he was like, the church should be the one leading all of these, you know, movements and social justice, and we shouldn't be waiting or relying on the government, too. So, but the question is, is, is uh, you know, a lot of social change happens at the gra- grassroots level in that society is changing and thoughts, actions, and you know, whatever are changing. And then actually because of the change in public opinion, legislation follows it, you know, because, you know, our democracy, you know, legislation follows the will of the people. And so, uh, you know, with the civil rights, they didn't legislate at first. It was a grassroots movement first. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, the gay rights movement was something where they went and enacted, they tried to change Hollywood. They tried to change public opinion and acceptance and now, on the tail end of that, they're coming in to try and get legislation to follow the change in public opinion for homosexuality. And so, you know, the question is with the church and with Christianity, you know, we as Christians, should we go to D.C. first to try and legislate biblical principles? Or should we personally, with ourselves and our churches and local bodies, try to do things to enact social change and, and change thoughts and minds locally? And as public perception comes around to that biblical you know, point or whatever, then legislation follows it. Is it the cart or the horse? That's but, the question. Yeah. But, but I mean, th- th- that almost that almost makes it sound like mo- all movements will have uh, this underlying political agenda. You know what I mean? Like, are, what's the motivation? Is it to actually do things we want, or is it to enact legislation? No, right. But I'm saying, you know, if things, if change, true change did happen, or whatever. I'm, I don't have any ex- example in mind, but true change did happen and legislation followed it, it's just a natural thing. Yeah. We didn't try to force it unnaturally, you know, square peg, round hole. It just happens because that's where society is at that point. I find issues like this where it's a really um, difficult and multifaceted that the best thing that you can do is say, well, it's a complex issue with uh, a lot of different sides, and then move on to something mm-hmm. <laughs> something lighthearted and funny. Badgers. Like badgers, that's that's always my out. Like, wow, well, this is a complex issue. So, you guys see the game the other night? <laughs> well, I think historically the church has always been kind of, you know, I mean, it's not like the church has never done anything to right any social ills. Historically, they have. Yeah. But I think the past forty to sixty years, there's been such an evangelistic push. But I think it's turning around now to where they're saying, how can we get somebody to accept the gospel when they don't have shoes on their feet kind of thing? Yeah, it's. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head the, the past 40 or 60 years. A lot of it has been trying to, it's been legislative evangelism. You know, the, the evangelistic push has been trying to, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, 
legislate Christian lifestyle and I guess put move people into the gospel through civic government, which doesn't seem to have been super super effective. I wouldn't say that's that's the last fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, that's really been since nineteen ninety. Yeah, I, you you're right. Definitely. I mean, but I mean that's that's the interesting thing is that our um, you know our parents' generation came out of the Jesus movement. You know the you know, uh, and, and in the seventies when they were in their twenties and thirties, they, you know, our parents were very much focused on social justice, uh-huh. civil rights, yeah. you know, all the, mm-hmm. those types of things. And now that our parents are the age that they are, they're very politically focused. I mean, they just are, I mean, what parent do you know that doesn't watch the news channel all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, they look at, and then, you know, I have discussions with people of that generation and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys are passionate about social justice because I was too when I was 25. And they almost like, it's dismissive. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a phase. phase you're going through. And, and I'm like, you know, I, you know, I'm scared because what if, what is, what if that is life? What if that is our future too? Well, you know? I don't think it's everyone. You know, I mean, I've met a lot of people who are in their 50s or 60s who are very, very passionate about social justice. Well, sure. So I, mean, I think, you know... And you even have, like, your Rick Warrens and stuff who are... that, But right. they are it's, definitely not the norm. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, someone who's really living a life focused towards, uh, you know, the pursuit of, of Christ's compassion and Christ's love isn't the norm. Well, and so. I, I think one of the, the key things is that you know, we need, especially when it comes to politically and, and things that we believe in, it's one of those things where you really have to choose your battles because if you just and get educated on what causes you believe in, because once people start throwing around these blanket support for, you know, one party or one type of thinking, it, it really becomes disaffective because it gets jumbled in with all this other, I mean, it's politics, I think another nuance of this is that with the church or Christians or whatever in the past, a lot of focus has been on charity and compassion, and now it's more of justice, where, you know, let's not only help the people who have been, who are victims of something, but stop it from happening, you know, find the source, fix the the wrongs, and so I think that's another nuance of something that's changing. Not that it never existed before, but... Maybe it's coming back. Yeah, it seems again. to be a greater focus. If you look at the cynical side of all this, that you know we're passionate and proactive and literate and 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 very focused on these issues at this time in our life. Just like every college student coming out of college is going to change the world, and then you know thirty-year-olds are looking back, going like, "Yeah, right. You don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Naive, naive. You know what I mean?" And the previous generation, the majority of the previous generation is looking at us going naive, naive, you know, we were the same way that you were. And I'm wondering if we can take a hindsight perspective in the foresight position right now in life, you know, and realize that that is the natural, natural American path, you know, like this is society. I mean, this is what we're at this time in our life, we're going to change the world. And then we meet the one and we get married and then, you know, we get a mortgage and then, Oh, you got to work. And then all of a sudden your focus changes to your two weeks of vacation versus your, you know, I'm working, you know, part time and I'm there and I'm, you know, serving in the homeless shelters, or whatever, you, you know, life just changes. And, and then you get the kids and then, you know, you never go out. You don't really have community with other people unless they have babies too. And then you kind of just, you know what I mean? You just yeah. fade into the typical American life by your mid thirties. And and then you look back and go, what happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm wondering, 
if we know that that is the path, whether or not we want to admit it right now, that is the path that all of us are on because we all probably have jobs and we all probably want to get married and have kids one day. You know, it's like, so maybe, you know, is it that we acknowledge that this is a season in our life and we just try to suck the marrow out of the bone and make the most of it and, and maximize these few years? Or is there a way that we can exist and have kids and raise them in a nice you know, because if you're a parent, I can understand why families live in the suburbs. Yeah. You want to be in decent schools. You want your kids to be safe. Well, in our mindset now, when we're in our 20s, we want to live freaking downtown. We want mm-hmm. the hustle and bustle. If you have a baby or you have a four-year-old, you probably don't want them in having to deal with the unsafeness or they can't go out and play because there's homeless people. You know what I mean? So it's like, I understand why life happens that way and you migrate to the suburbs and I understand that. And I'm just wondering, is there a way to see it coming and pre- not necessarily prevent it, but to keep this life perspective in the midst of that. Is it even possible? uh, Yeah, I think so. Just because I've met people who have, it's like you said, it's rare. uh, It's the exception rather than the rule. But I think it's possible. Well, and, and, and in a way, and this could just be, this just could be my own youth talking and and me being naive. But I, I think that this generation is under very different circumstances than any generation before us in that, you know, we have seen revolutionary things happen. Even the things like the digital boom, you know, you have these 30 year old, these 30 year olds working out of the garage, shining billion dollar, becoming world changers, you know, with just an idea. And it's not just dot commerce. It's these people that are actually, you know, I, I don't know what kind of social justice organizations were around when my parents were our age, but it seems like everywhere I turn, I see people that that's their life. And I feel like because of the, the cultural climate right now, we have a better chance of sticking with this revolutionary thinking. And like I said, it could just be my youth talking. And if you ask me 10 years later, I'll sound very different. But I like to think that how the way, the direction that culture is going is going to help us stay in that thinking. We heard about a guy the other day. It was actually part of a, a contest we're doing with the Relevant Nation, so you'll probably read about him in Relevant Magazine. But um, he you know, has a full-time job, you know, lives in like Seattle or somewhere like that. Um, and, and at night, he helps set up you know, like businesses and set up farms in Kenya and he's got this, you know, massive thing he's doing and he, he does it at night, but you know, at home from his computer. And while that may not be realistic for somebody with kids, I don't know if he's married or has kids, but there are other people that we're hearing about who do have kids and have a normal life, but they have made it a practice of living outwardly and they're doing things in the local community. Some people are doing things nationwide and people are finding ways to, to not, you know, give in to the, you know, American dream, which is yeah. <laughs> self-centered. Well, I, you and, know, I yeah. even hear, you know, yeah, I'm married, but I'm, but we don't have kids. And I hear, oh, once you have kids, everything changes. Like, your life apparently is over. everything's about you and your kids then. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm just wondering, like, well, if that's the case, you know, I mean, if that's the case, I'm going to make the most of this season. Yeah. This isn't a negative season. We don't have kids. I'm going to view it as a positive. That I can do things now that I can't do in a couple of years. But, you know, and I, I, obviously you can always have the heart and mind and raise your kids to care for others and live outwardly and all those things too. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying maybe there's a point where we should acknowledge that to an extent, the season we're in right now in life is a limited one. I think at every stage of life, you, you have to kind of live that way. Yeah, that's that, true. You know, at this moment, if this is all I get in life, would I say this was enough? And I, I, 
accomplished things that I want to accomplish, you know, that I, or at least I was going after things I want to be going after. Mm-hmm. Sarah Groves has a neat perspective on this as far as like when she had kids and stuff, like she kind of shut down and was like full of fear and paranoia just about the world that that she brought these children into and just kind of how would they live their lives. And then she kind of went through a spiritual awakening and said, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up watching me hug the wall. I want to live. I want to embrace life. And I want them to see me changing the world. And uh, one of our other authors, Shereen Tabor, writes about this in Wanting All the Right Things, about how you do your children a disservice when you completely focus your life on them and their needs. And, And yeah, you can't not, you know, meet their needs or make sure that, you know, they're fed and clothed or whatever. But the more that, you know, the family has a life and personal identities and the more that, I mean, those children learn what they see from their parents and the more that you can live the life that you want your kids to have, the better off that they're going to be. But it would be that we are consciously choosing to live our family lives differently Mm -hmm. than probably how we were raised. I think it has to be a conscious decision because I think that that's how you kind of get uh, that's kind of how you end up looking back and saying, wow, you know, I was so socially conscious and so passionate in my 20s. What happened is just through, I guess, uh, not paying attention, just being inattentive to the direction your life is head, not being intentional. Yeah. So. And living life intentionally, I think, is a, a massive thing that, I mean, that's really been on my mind a lot where it's like, you know, not only not only living your life purposefully and, and, and the things that are important, making sure are reflected in your life and your actions and where you what you do and where you spend your time and what you spend your energies on, but just remembering life, you know, like yeah. little mm-hmm. things like if you just get caught up in nine to five, all of a sudden 2006 is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boom. What happened this year? And like I've literally I, I've always kind of wanted to do this. But this year I've like been making conscious efforts of making memories like every month, every Saturday, every whatever, I want to remember that thing. I may not remember the rest of that week, but I want to mm-hmm. remember that thing that yeah. we did. And and it could not just be just fun stuff. I mean, it could be serving, it could be traveling, it could be, you know, outwardly yeah. focused. But I mean, just living life intentionally where it's like, if I drop dead tomorrow, I maximize this thing, Yeah, you know? There are times when I've thought, you know, I really don't want to do this thing or make this memory or you know or coming to work today well (laughs) whatever it may be because it's like i'm tired at work today yeah (laughs) any of that but you know you're thinking i'm tired i'm gonna run down but it's like you know on my deathbed i won't be laying there remembering how tired i was in late october of 2006 i'll be thinking about some memory that i made in that time because i chose to do that instead of you know, succumb to apathy. But when we're, you know, when I was in college, it's like everyone would say you can sleep during the summer, you know, because like they were all, everyone have excuses for not going out, not doing fun things or going on road trips. They're like, I'm so tired. I've been doing so much. And every, it was just kind of like a joke, you know? And, it, but in a lot of ways it was that thinking, it was like, you know what? I got to make the most of this. Yeah. I, I can relax. You know, I can veg out when school year's over. I got four years here. And I remember that thinking so many times, like debating. I'm not telling people to make bad decisions when they're in college, do your homework or whatever you need to do. But Hey, let me tell everybody out there a secret. All right? GPA doesn't matter. Okay? Right. I'm no, going to tell no, you that doesn't. for real. Get your degree. Get a lot of experience. I don't care about yeah. classes, but get a ton mm-hmm. of experience. Get involved. If you're going into media, work at the school paper, blah, blah, blah. Intern, intern, intern. 
your GPA doesn't matter. Yeah. Your experience, I remember your when life that experience dawned on me. does. I feel like tremendously blessed to have had, to, to known the people that I've knew in college and to have the experience that I did. But a lot of it, I really think, came from just that, that feeling that was instilled like, you know, I hardly said no to anything because mm-hmm. I wanted to do everything I could, you know? And I, and I walked away with, you know... A lot of stories. Yeah, yeah a lot of stories. Oh, machines broken. Yeah, and, and, and like friendships that I'll have forever. And it, But if you live every moment of your life like that, like, you know what, maybe tonight I will go out. I, I, I'll, I'll go do this. You know, I'll... I'll, instead of just hanging out on the, this weekend, I, I'll take a road trip and go and serve in New Orleans or whatever. You know, it's like seizing opportunities yeah. that you have. Well, you know, I think that's the key here is like with these issues that we just talked about and stuff is actually saying like, listen, okay, God has opened your eyes to this stuff now, and you have an opportunity to do it, make a difference about it now, no. maximize that. Now, because it may not be there tomorrow, or God may yeah. open your eyes to new things tomorrow, yeah. and you never want to look back with regret. So it's like, you know, don't wait for the government to do stuff. Just do it. Yeah. And if you're waiting for your life to be less busy or things to be less hectic before you step out and and do the things that you tell yourself you're going to do, it's never going to happen. You know, you're just you're waiting never, for Guffman. You're waiting for Guffman. You're never going to get to a point in your life where you think, well, things have calmed down now. Now I can do that thing that. I, I want it to do. Yeah. You know, it'll never happen. All of a sudden years will fly by. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, I, it's October 20th. That's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And I can count on, well, two hands, what I did this year. <laughs> and it was, you know, those conscious efforts like to, to say, you know what, let's do this thing and make a memory here. Or, you know, let's, you know, this is a cause that I care about and we're going to do something about it. Or, you know, I mean, you have to have those landmark moments in your life. Like every, Every week, every month, every year, you have to live life to the fullest. That's what this comes down to, is not waiting for the government to do it, not waiting for the right time or when you have enough money or you do... No, I mean, do what you can with what you have and what you've been given. What you've been entrusted with, you need to be a good steward with, and that's time, money, relationships, you know, talents, you know, and, and if you're not being a good steward with the things God's entrusted you with, then, you know, it'll pass, you know, you'll... You'll lose out. Yeah, and that's not even saying that the government shouldn't step in Mm -hmm. and do something about some of these things. It's just saying that ultimately... But it shouldn't be up to to the government. Exactly. It should be up to us. Exactly. If If you notice a problem in the world and you want to see change, then... Step up and be that change. You start know? a website, start a petition, raise awareness, educate people, make flyers, pass them out. I mean, whatever it is, you can do something. And if a lot of people did something, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden a huge change starts yep. happening. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you always have a million excuses not to do it. You know? Are you still talking about doing our road trips? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I mean, let's, let's fly- go on a road trip yeah. right after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Right after the podcast. I know there's a million excuses. Oh, we have a magazine to put out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, on that note, we have this week's editorial question of the week. Editorial question of the week. What's the one thing you've been wanting to do that you've put off and you can do before the end of the year? Yeah. So, and it doesn't have to be social justice. Like, is it a road trip? Is it a, a movie marathon? <laughs> a perm. You can't undo a perm, people. Okay, so. <laughs> you can. It's called clippers. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Say, what is, think about it before you. Do you want to write and produce a play by the end of the year? Perform it at your church? Community theater. 
Anyway. Yeah, so write in editorial at relevantmagazine.com. Let us know the thing that you've been wanting to do and you're going to do. And then maybe we can have a follow-up at the end of the year and see how Mm. many people who wrote in did that thing. Mm -hmm. That would be really cool. I'd be very interested. It's a end-of-the-year resolution. It's a carpe diem. It's a seize the day editorial question of the week. Yeah, you got you got just over two months, so that's enough time. Yep, make something happen. All right, okay. Well, on that note, that will do it for this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you very much to Phil Wickham for coming through. Like we uh, mentioned, you can check him out at philwickham.com, and his new album on INO Records is self-titled. Make sure to tune in next week for author Mark Estes. That'll be a good one. Well, I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Kara Davis. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Ab Smith. We'll see you next week. Hello, everyone.